You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Been singing about his praise, and so I want to talk to you about him this morning, and uh, specifically about prayer. But before I get into that, I've got another prayer from the Valley of Vision, shared one last week, and I've got another one this week that uh, I've rewritten again into a bit more modern English. And uh, for those who weren't here last week, the Valley of Vision is a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. So they go back, some of them, back to the 1600s, I think. Um, And there's something particularly special about the way these guys prayed, men and women prayed back in the day and they recorded their prayers too, not on audio obviously, but they wrote their prayers and their devotions down and they're pretty powerful and uh, I think we can learn things about how to pray from the Puritans as well. This particular prayer, they said, O Lord, we commune with you every day But weekdays are worldly days and worldly concerns distract from our heavenly thoughts. We bless you therefore for a day sacred to our souls when we can wait upon you and be refreshed. We thank you for the church which helps us to draw near to you and you to us. We rejoice in another Lord's Day when we turn our minds away from the worries of the world and turn our minds to you without distraction. Let our rest be worshipful, our conversation uplifting, our reading honourable, our hearing worthwhile, that our souls may be revived and lifted up. We have come to the house of prayer. Pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication. We have come to the house of praise. Awaken in us a grateful and joyous emotion. We have come to the house of instruction. Confirm the word that is preached and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it bring light to the ignorant. Awaken the indifferent. Reclaim the wandering. Strengthen the weak. Comfort the distressed. And make us a prepared people for our Lord. Be a sanctuary to all who cannot come. Forget not those who never come and bestow on us compassion towards the homeless, forgiveness towards our enemies, friendliness towards our neighbours and openness towards our fellow Christians. The Puritans knew how to pray. And hopefully we can all learn something from that and I'm hoping over these next number of weeks we can all learn some things that will help us in our prayer as well. Last week Those who are here would recall that I talked about finding and following God's will for our lives. It's an issue we Christians often struggle with. And in fact, many Christians get sidetracked unnecessarily trying to work out what God's plan and God's will is for their lives. And some get led into all sorts of strange directions. Some get led into deception and they end up further away from God's will rather than closer. Others get so confused by it all that they get paralysed. They basically give up and go nowhere with their lives. Both extremes are disastrous 
both extremes are unnecessary. So last week I introduced a series that I guaranteed will help you to know God's will for you. And it will help you to get into the centre of God's will. And the aim of this series is that we would be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans 12.2. And uh, I used the J.B. Phillips paraphrase as well last week. And J.B. Phillips says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. But let God remould your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Paul tells us in this passage that we are transformed, remoulded from within, that we will know what God's will is for us. But remoulding from within is not something we can force on ourselves. We can't shape ourselves from within. It's a work of God, the Holy Spirit, within us. But there are things that we can do that will provide the right soil, suitable soil, for him to till and plant and grow transformation in. So that brings us to the spiritual disciplines, which is what this series is all about. And uh, that terrible word of discipline that most modern, at least modern Westerners don't like the sound of. But the spiritual disciplines are prayer, fasting, Bible reading, meditation, worship, fellowship and confession. Dr Don Whitney defines the spiritual disciplines this way. Spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These disciplines are designed by God to bring about the most important change that we could ever experience as Christians, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important for us as Christians than to be conformed to the image of his son. I made the claim last week that if we will commit ourselves to practising these disciplines, that we will find ourselves more like Christ come Christmas time than we are now. I also talked about what the spiritual disciplines are and what they are not, about some misconceptions, and I gave you some warnings about them, warnings about the misuse of the disciplines and also about the effort required to practise them. As a refresher, or for those who weren't here last week, Let me go over them quickly. What the spiritual disciplines are and are not. As a definition says, the spiritual disciplines are practices found in scripture that will help us to grow to maturity, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Sometimes those disciplines are practiced alone, like prayer and fasting. Sometimes they are practiced as a group, like prayer and fasting. But they're activities, they're things we must do. They don't just happen because we have good attitudes. I used the analogy last week of an athlete training for the Olympic Games and the effort he had to put into his training, his diet, his study, his exercise. The whole training took discipline to achieve that goal of Olympic gold or even selection for the Olympics. It takes effort. 
Similarly, similarly, we don't become conformed to the image of Christ without some effort on our part. And that effort is the spiritual disciplines. A good attitude is useless without the corresponding actions. A little bit like faith without works is dead in a way, isn't it? I also warn that activities like bushwalking and gardening and things like that are not spiritual disciplines, although they may be helpful. No matter how spiritual you may feel when you're hiking, hiking is not a spiritual discipline. Another warning was the danger of legalism in practising these spiritual disciplines. Either legalism towards ourselves that it becomes a, a, um, an onerous task for us, or legalism towards others. You must do this to be as spiritual as I am. The, the Pharisees were masters, as we know, at the spiritual disciplines, but they did them with the wrong attitudes and the wrong motivation. We can similarly pray and fast out of a place of legalism rather than out of love for our Lord and gratitude for the work he has done and a desire to know him and to be conformed to his image. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful about our attitudes. We need to examine ourselves and the reasons why we're doing these things. The other dangers are that we might practice the spiritual disciplines as a way to impress God or as a way to get his approval, or to make God owe us something, as if God could ever owe us something, or as a means to get to heaven. All of those uh, approaches are deadly to Christian faith and growth and maturity. I also invited you all to join me in committing yourselves and committing ourselves to practising these spiritual disciplines in the coming week, this coming year and in fact for the rest of our lives. So let's get into the first of them, prayer and fasting. Now I'm not going to get to fasting this week. I may not get to it next week either actually. <laughs> this is one of the most important of the spiritual disciplines and uh, as I was preparing it, it uh, quickly grew to be too big for one message so I, uh, I tossed up whether I should keep you here for an hour and a half or whether I should show mercy and split it into two. And as an act of mercy, I've split it into two, and that first one has grown almost as big as the first one, my first uh, draft. Anyway, we will continue next week, and I'll build on an ad to this week. As I said last week, I'm not sure if there's an order of importance to the spiritual disciplines, but the two that actually stand out to me are... Uh, prayer and Bible reading is two that are absolutely crucial for us. One author has said, To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. Many of us struggle with prayer. How many, anyone on a show of hands, how many committed themselves to praying this past week? Most of you. All of you, I look like, actually. 
how many felt they were successful in meeting that commitment. Hands? Well done. Who struggled? Yeah, we had some struggle. Why did you why did you find it difficult? Anyone want to say what they, their challenges were this week? Easy to forget, yeah. Yeah. Any others? Mind wandering? Any others? Busy, yeah. Yeah, these these are realities of what we face in our daily life. We forget, our mind wanders, and we get busy. Maybe we started to pray and we weren't sure what to pray about. And we gave up. That happens pretty easily, you've got to say. Hopefully over these next couple of weeks, I'll give you some keys to help you be able to overcome those, those um, problems, distractions. But maybe before we go any further, we probably should put some sort of definition to prayer. Prayer is talking to God as you might talk to a friend. Now that seems a bit strange given that when we pray we tend not to get an answer back whereas friends usually say something to us. But prayer is talking to God as you might talk to a friend but prayer is more than a casual conversation. Prayer is actually a privilege that is given to us by our creator who desires to have a relationship with us. So prayer builds that relationship with the one we get to call Father the one who has all the answers and all the resources we need, the one who is at the top of the pecking order and doesn't need to get permission from anyone else to answer our prayers. That's pretty amazing that we can go to the, the top of the pecking order to make our requests known and he doesn't need to get permission from anyone else to answer him. But prayer is not twisting God's arm to get our own way. Prayer is calling on God like a a child might call on its mother or its father to come through on his promises. Prayer is our response to Christ's promise. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So prayer is a conscious, personal communication with the God of the universe. That means that prayer is not only asking for our needs to be met, but prayer is also putting down roots. Roots that will enable us to weather the storms that we inevitably face in life. And prayer is also asking the Creator of the universe to intervene in our personal situations and in world situations. So there's a few to- there's a few reasons why we struggle to pray. We've just heard a few, and one of the uh, the reasons, without doubt, is that the enemy will do whatever he can to stop us talking to God. He has no interest in allowing us to communicate communicate freely with our Father. I told you last week how I woke up in the wee small hours of Sunday morning about 4am or something and I decided I'm awake, I'm going to pray. And I got one, maybe two sentences of prayer out and five or ten minutes later realised 
I wasn't praying anymore. I was thinking about everything else. I was thinking about church. I was thinking about work. I was thinking about TV shows. I was thinking about Midnight Oil Song or something. Thinking about things totally, <laughs> totally unrelated to prayer. So I brought my thoughts back into alignment, started to pray, and I think I got one sentence out in my mind before I was off again. Well, lo and behold, the same thing happened in the wee small hours of Monday morning. I wake up at 4am or something, 4 or 5am, I'm going to pray. I think I got one, maybe two sentences, if I'm lucky again, and I was off again, off with the fairies. Someone has said that when we pray, we get distracted by a fly on the wall. That's certainly my experience. I find I need certain tools and strategies if I'm going to pray effectively. I'll share some of those tools and strategies shortly. The other problem for us is that, as I mentioned, prayer seems to be a one-way street. We talk, but God doesn't talk back. At least he doesn't talk back in ways that we can usually hear. It's not to say God can't or won't talk back to us, only that he doesn't usually, or he doesn't usually speak back to us audibly. So we can feel a bit like we're talking to ourselves or to the ceiling and prayer doesn't come naturally or easily to us. I also mentioned last week that I have had one, but only one, personal experience of God speaking audibly to me. It's memorable to me because it's so rare. Many years ago, while we were still living in Adelaide, we had a man in her church who God was using in amazing ways to set people free. He had a powerful and effective ministry. It was a wonderful thing to see. People who had been struggling with sin or had problems in their lives or certain attitudes they couldn't seem to shake were getting set free when this guy ministered to them. It's like Jesus said in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's what we were seeing come from this man's ministry. The problem was for me, though, this man was pretty crude in his language and his behaviour. He didn't act in ways that I thought were honouring to God or reflected Christ. So I was driving home from work one day complaining to God about him and uh, saying things like, why is it, Lord, that this man has such a powerful, effective ministry when he behaves so poorly and you don't seem to use me even though I watch my tongue and I'm careful about my behaviour and careful about reflecting you publicly? You might see a problem in my prayer there. Lord, you use this ungodly man in powerful ways, but you don't seem to be using me, even though I try to be godly all the time. It's not fair. Anyway, I'm driving along alone in my ute up the Salisbury Highway, and to this day I can see exactly where I was, and I'm complaining to God and telling God off, really, because he's got his priorities wrong. I'm trying to do the right thing here, and this man's behaving in ungodly ways. You're using him and not me. That's just not right, God. Driving along alone in my ute, and I hear a voice come from the passenger seat as loud as if one of you were sitting next to me. I expect better from you. 
There was no one in the car but me and obviously God. But that shut me up in a heartbeat, I can tell you. Who was I to tell God who he could or couldn't use to achieve his purposes or how he could use them to achieve his purposes? The heart of the matter was my wrong attitude. I'd uh, slipped into a trap of thinking that God owed me for my good behaviour. Why was I so careful about behaving in a godly manner? Was it to honour him or was it to earn his favour or to twist his arm? So I tell the story, I can almost picture myself standing in the temple in ancient Jerusalem saying, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. I remember telling the story to our pastor at the time and his response to me was, God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. That phrase has stuck with me ever since. God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line and the reality is, even though we're saved, he uses crooked sticks of us to draw straight lines every day. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for me, for my actions, for my attitudes and not for this other man's. If God should choose to use someone who doesn't measure up to the standards that I set, someone like Jacob the deceiver, or Samson the ladies' man, or David the adulterer, or even Nebuchadnezzar the pagan king, who am I to tell God he can't use them? I tell that story for two reasons. One, is to show that God can speak audibly to us, although he very rarely does. And I don't go through life expecting to hear and speak audibly like that, but he can. But the more important reason, though, is to illustrate the danger of practising spiritual disciplines with the wrong attitudes and the wrong motivation, practising them like a Pharisee. But God was gracious enough to correct me in my Pharisaism. If he didn't do that, I may well have turned into a bitter, hard, angry Christian who may well have turned his back on God. But he pulled me up in an instant because I needed to be pulled up. Prayer is foundational to Christian life, you all know that. Jesus often withdrew from the crowds to pray, sometimes spending whole nights in prayer. If Jesus felt the need to pray, how come we don't? Why are we so prayerless? For me, it's because I get so easily distracted. Because I know I get so easily distracted, because I know I slip so easily into prayerlessness, I have a strategy, a simple two-part strategy that will probably help you. I expect it will help you. Firstly, I use a list of people and things to pray for. And secondly, I pray out loud. Simple. Or simples, as the ad says. For example, I have a list 
of all the names of all the people who call City Edge Church home. I keep that list in the car with me and I pray for every person on that list by name every week on the way to work. If I don't do that, I'll forget someone or I'll get sidetracked and I won't pray at all. If I know specific needs you have, I pray for those specific needs. If I don't know any specific needs, I pray more generally. But rest assured that every one of you gets prayed for every week by name. And I'm not the only one in this church that does that. A number of our leaders, and I'm sure plenty of other people do as well. I need that list. I know my weakness in this area. If I don't have it, I'll forget to pray. If I don't have it, I'll get distracted. For me, the list solves the problem of who and what to pray for. On a side note, if you're visiting with us today from another church, I hope your leaders are praying for you and for the other members regularly. It's one of their most basic responsibilities and you should ask them if they do. Of course, they can't pray for you regularly or intelligently if they don't know who you are. So if you're visiting from elsewhere, you need to make yourself known and get on their membership list and commit to them. And then they'll be able to pray for you weekly. The other part of my strategy to keep my thought on prayer and not on work or TV show or whatever else is to pray out loud, as I mentioned. I find it much easier to stay focused and on topic when I'm praying out loud than when I'm praying in my thoughts. If you have the same battle, try it. Find a time that's appropriate for you and pray out loud through a list. So there's plenty of practical things we can do to become consistent and regular in our prayer time. The list is one thing. Setting aside a regular time, as some have found, is another. Prayer in the car, which I do on the way to work, is a simple thing to do. Though many of us have to travel to work. We've got 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour and a half getting to work, one way or the other. Plenty of time to pray. But effective prayer is not necessarily the same as long prayer. Jesus warned against imagining that we're heard for our many words. He said in Matthew 6, When you pray, do not heap up empty, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In one of the books I've recommended in the handout, you've all got handouts or most of you I hope have got a handout on your seat there. In one of the books I've recommended, the author makes the statement that Jesus teaches in Matthew 6 that our prayers are measured by their strength, not by their length. Straight after Jesus said that, he launched into the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've actually taken any notice, but the Lord's Prayer is only four short, simple sentences. Very brief. You're not heard by your many words. Prayer is measured by its strength, not its length. How powerful do you imagine the Lord's Prayer would be coming from the lips of Jesus? You may only need five minutes to pray effective prayers. You may only need two minutes. You can do that on the way to work. You can do that while you're waiting at the bus stop. You can do it in between meetings. 
You can do it in the car after you've dropped the kids off at school. There's plenty of opportunities for short but effective prayer. In fact, if you look at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, you see a good example of that. Nehemiah had received uh, the sad news that Jerusalem was in a state of ruin. The walls had been torn down, the temple ruined. And that upset him so much that he spent the next week in prayer and fasting and mourning for the city he loved. It's a good example of prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. I encourage you to read it when you get home. In chapter 2, Nehemiah is standing before King Artaxerxes with a sad face. And to stand before the king with a sad face could mean you lose your head. But he was so distressed at the, the ruin of Jerusalem that he would rather have lost his head, I think, than try to cover up and pretend everything was all right. So he was standing before the king with a sad face. The king asked him, what's the matter? And Nehemiah tells the king why so sad. In Nehemiah 2, 4 and 5 it says, The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, send me to Judah so that I may rebuild it. How long do you think Nehemiah spent between the king's question and his answer? I prayed to the God of heaven. It must have been seconds he spent shooting up a prayer. Someone has said it's an arrow prayer. You're on the spot, you shoot up this arrow prayer and God gives you the answer. Seconds, not minutes. He couldn't have stood there for five minutes keeping the king waiting or ten minutes or an hour or come back tomorrow. Second, effective prayer is measured by strength, not length. So the question is not necessarily about finding large blocks of time to set aside for prayer, although large blocks of time can be a good thing. The question is, what works for you? It's much more important that we find something that works for us and get started doing this than it is getting all long and flowery and smooth and refined in our prayers. Who are we impressing? If you need to establish a habit, try setting a reminder on your phone. Everyone carries a phone around with them. Everyone can set the alarm on it at a particular time that you know you're going to be on your way to work or somewhere as a prompt prayer. Some people have an area of their home set aside for prayer and study and they go into there for a time and... uh, Spend time using often for the prayer journal. People that have a room set aside often keep a prayer journal. Write down their prayers and they can look back and see how God has answered them. Point is, find out what works for you. By trial and error if you need to and cultivate the habit. For most of us, it won't happen without some effort. Now when it comes to talking to God in prayer, we're probably not going to talk about the footy results or the lousy weather, although I suppose there's no reason why we can't. It just seems that when we have the ear of the creator of the universe, we probably should talk about things that are more substantial than the footy results, more eternal than the footy results. So the challenge is, how should I pray and what should I pray for? I'll give you a couple of how examples today. Next week... I've got another one or two how examples and then some what's 
that we can pray for from Scripture. We have an example, a pattern in Scripture to help us. Luke 11.1 tells us, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Maybe one of the reasons why prayer doesn't come naturally to us is that it's not our natural state. We have to learn how to pray. John Piper says, The devil hates prayer. Our own flesh does not naturally love it. Therefore, it does not come full-born and complete and passionate from the womb of the heart. It takes ever-renewed discipline. The disciples were with Jesus every day. They were watching him. They were learning from him. They were seeing and probably hearing him pray. But still they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus replied, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Interesting that our Father knows what we need before we ask him, and yet Jesus still tells us to pray and ask him. It's about building relationship with our Father. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus gave us this pattern of prayer, he made no mention of the results of the latest gladiators versus lions match or how sticky the weather has been lately instead he focused on things of significance the greatness of God that God's rule and God's reign should be established in the world he he prayed for our sustenance for forgiveness for strength to resist sin protection from evil we have a pattern here that we can follow in our general prayers. So if this is a pattern for us, what might this look like in our regular prayer? You might pray something like this. We uh, have verses 9 to 11 up on the screen. Thanks, Mike. You might pray something like this. Lord, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is none like you, Lord. In heaven or on earth, you stand above all earthly powers. You rule over all angelic powers. I pray, Lord, that your name would be known among all the nations of the earth and not just known, but revered, honoured, worshipped. Lord, you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. I claim that promise for our nation, Lord. I pray for the advance of the gospel here in Australia and overseas around the world would you open doors and tear down opposition to the gospel Lord build your church Lord build your kingdom I ask for my daily bread I thank you Lord that you have provided a secure job for me so that I can put food on the table and pay the bills but I ask Lord that you would provide especially for those who are working to take your message to those who don't yet know you And I pray that you would be my daily bread spiritually too. 
that you would build me up and strengthen me through your word and your Holy Spirit. It's an example from three verses of the Lord's Prayer of how you might put that into a daily prayer. So the Lord's Prayer can be a pattern and a prompt for us when we're not sure what to pray. And I'll talk more about that next week when we talk, at, uh, talk about praying the Bible. There's other patterns that have been suggested by people much smarter than I am. You've probably heard of the pattern ACTS, A-C-T-S. It's in your notes there. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication, A-C-T-S. So when praying ACTS, we just work our way through each letter, praying along those lines. And in many ways, it's very similar to praying through the Lord's Prayer. So what might an Acts sort of prayer look like? In adoration, we might pray, Lord, you are the King of kings. There is none like you. You are creator and sustainer of the universe. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. I put my trust in you. You are worthy of my worship, Lord. And one day, every knee will bow before you and acknowledge you, our Lord. Confession. I didn't do my job properly at work today, Lord. I got sidetracked doing my own stuff. This is a real confession, actually. And I know I shouldn't have. It hurt my employer's business. But more importantly, Lord, I've sinned against you. It only reminds me of how weak I am when I forget you and follow my own desires. I confess my sin before you, Lord. And thank you that I can come before you for forgiveness based on the sacrifice that Jesus made on my behalf. Thanksgiving. What a fun time we had today, Lord, when we caught up with Bob and Betty. It brought back so many memories of good times we've had with them in the past. It's so good to have such good friends. And I want to thank you for the friendship we have, we have had with them for so many years and the way you have built our relationship. Supplication. I've just heard today about the tragedy in Bali. Lord, I pray for the victims and their families. I ask, Lord, that you bring comfort to those who lost a loved one. Please help the emergency services crews to find those who are missing. Most of all, Lord, I pray that this tragedy will cause people to turn to you in their despair and their heartache and that you would use it for your glory. ACTS. Easy to remember? and a good prompt for how we might pray. Next week, I plan to come back with some more examples of how we can pray the Bible, as well as look at what to pray for, whether God really does answer prayer, and a bit about corporate prayer as well. And maybe, maybe not, we'll have a look at fasting. But for now, I need to wrap it up. You have a handout you can take home to help you with your praying this week. There's also a number of excellent books and useful websites listed on there. A um, couple of those books I might bring along next week to show you. Praying the Bible by Don Whitney is one of the best books I've ever read on prayer. And a transforming book. It's another one, Prayer, that's published by uh, Nine Marks, I think it is. There's Outstanding as well, but they're all good. I can recommend them all. In closing, I invite you again to join me in the commitment to starting these disciplines this week. If you haven't done them before, 
or if you've wandered away, I invite you to return to them. Remember, we're doing them for the purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ. Being conformed to the image of Christ. That's our goal this year, that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. And prayer is one of the ways that God uses to do that. We're not doing it to score brownie points with God or to prove that we're more spiritual than the person next to us. We're doing it to be conformed to the image of Christ. So with that in mind, I invite you to close your eyes and join me in a closing prayer. Our Father, I pray this morning for my friends and for myself. Would you help us to put into practice the discipline of prayer? With the help of your Holy Spirit, we will turn to you daily to bring our requests, our concerns, our fears and our thanks to you. And we know that we can come boldly and confidently to you because our Saviour, Jesus Christ, has opened the door into your throne room on our behalf by his blood that he poured out on the cross so that we could be reconciled to you. And we ask this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope next week you'll come back with uh, some more encouraging news about how your spiritual discipline of prayer has gone this week. I hope there's some keys, some prompts to help you with that this week. And I hope we can build this into a pattern, not just for the weeks and months ahead, but for our life that becomes a part. Prayer is not natural to us. Lord, teach us to pray. It's a prayer that he will answer. Teach us to pray. So thank you for your attention this morning. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.